Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spooky Town podcast, episode four. Uh, we're very excited to be back today. Um, we have an exciting episode for you. We're going to be talking about found footage horror and um, covering a little bit about the history of the subgenre and um, talking about, you know, where it started, um, what it does for the, uh, I don't know what you would say, field of horror. Can't talk today. So this is a good, this is a good day to be creating a podcast. I can't get words <laughs> out, but um, <laughs> talking a little bit about what it brings to the horror genre. And then we're going to end um, with just talking through some of our, our favorite found footage films. Um, but I want to start by saying hello to my uh, wonderful sister and co-host, uh, Spooky Town co-host, Stephanie. Hello, Stephanie. Hey, Ashley. <laughs> What's up? Oh, not a lot. Just thinking about found footage. So it's just another day for me. <laughs> <laughs> Found footage is the best, um, and we have a lot to say about it, and um, we almost started talking about all of it right before we clicked every, to record, and we were like, save it, save the Every thought. single time, I'm like, oh, let me just read this to you, and then I'm like, nope, I can't tell you, can't do nope. it, Gotta save recorded. It. That's it. Um, but yes, we're very, very excited, um, and I think one of the funnest parts, by the way, of having a horror podcast is all the like quote research that you get to do beforehand. You know, you got to rewatch all of your favorite, um, all of your favorite movies in preparation. Twist my arm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, Twist. dang. Oh, <laughs> damn it. I guess gotta I have to read about again. <laughs> Gotta read about, uh, I don't know, found footage <laughs> impact uh, the <laughs> long lasting cultural impact of the Blair Witch Project. Oh my God. Yeah. Just the worst. Set me out to see. Um, so we did a lot of that this week, but uh, Steph, what were some of the, what were some of the movies that you've watched since the last podcast? We, we record this every two weeks. So we've got a good little crop here of, of movies that we've watched. Yeah, I I watched a lot of movies, as you can see here. Um, <laughs> so after our last podcast, um, I'm pretty sure it was either that night or the next day that I, for some reason, decided to watch two-thirds of the Annabelle franchise, uh, <laughs> which is coming from a franchise and universe that I hate, from uh, coming from a director that I hate. <laughs> yeah. So I was like... Uh, this is a great idea. Uh, I I watched two and three, still, which is... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Still have not seen an Annabelle movie, but yeah. I watched two and three. I still have not seen the first one. <laughs> uh, I hadn't planned on seeing the second one, which is Annabelle Creation. But I found out that David F. Sandberg directed it. Mm. Which, as we know, is... David F. Sandberg of Pony Smasher. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, fine. I'll do it to support I'll him. Watch. Yeah. Uh, it was not good, unfortunately. It was really bad. And then I immediately followed it up with Annabelle Comes Home, <laughs> which I've already <laughs> seen. Um, and it's actually not the worst. There are some like worthwhile parts, but mm -hmm. like it's still, it's still from a, the 
cinematic universe that I hate. Uh, and then I watched Frankenstein's army. Wait, I, have, I have a question because I don't know much about Annabelle. Um, yes. Like the series. That I is. now know way more than I ever <laughs> wanted to know. Yeah. So um, is she just like, she's just showing up in different spots and like being like traveling around and, and haunting people. Is that the, the general um, I know I know it's about it's supposed to be like she's got the soul of someone. So Annabelle creation is pretty much what it sounds like. It's like the origin story. And this um just like shows old, her like way back. <laughs> well, no, so she was handmade back like way back in the day. I don't know really when it's supposed to be said, like the 40s or 50s or something like that. Um, she was handmade by this uh doll maker who this was his whole thing. He just made dolls and things like that. And he uh, made it for his daughter. And then his daughter was super murdered because she was hit by a car. Mm, uh, I'll do it. That'll, that'll definitely get you. It's a cautionary tale of road rage and the perils. Yes. And also <laughs> stepping in front of a moving car. Yeah, and then don't... her spirit went into the doll but I, I don't remember how the demon got there, too, because I don't care. <laughs> Somehow, oh, there's two like things a, inside of Annabelle. There's a, a or, little girl demon. Or it's like a demon and it's masquerading as her. I don't remember because it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, there's like a demon in it, you know? Yeah. And okay. she just kills everyone. And she... It's just, yeah. Gotcha. She travels okay. around and just does stuff. Just I guess. People. Okay. I cool. mean, she doesn't like independently move around. Like people take her. Right. Right. So. Yeah. I. I mean. I just. The only thing I know of her is the beginning of uh, the Conjuring, where they talk about her briefly. Right. Um, yeah. The, she's just like super evil and based on a doll that is literally a Raggedy Ann. Yes. Like the real Annabelle does not look like that. The real Annabelle is a raggedy Anne. Yeah. And it's like encased in this like glass tomb and it's like don't open. <laughs> People are so funny, dude. Um <laughs> don't dead open inside is on the outside of Annabelle's case. <laughs> oh my god, it's so good. No, um, I'm just kidding. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, outside of that, I watched um Frankenstein's Army. Uh, the first Final Destination. Uh, I did watch The Grudge 2020. I'm sorry, everyone. And I watched uh, only part of Hellraiser Judgment, which is the 2018 Hellraiser. Mm. And then I just stopped and I never got back to it. And then watched did you Hellraiser. Stop it was too gross or it just was bad. It yeah. just was really I've heard, bad. I've heard that about it. Yeah, like the the Hellraiser bits like the Cenobite stuff is cool visually, but the acting with like the main characters is super bad and the writing yeah. is terrible. Yeah. I'm excited for the one that's, Oh, and, um, Oh, I'm sorry. I just got that confused. I thought for a second, Hellraiser 2021 had a date, but, um, that is antlers. Oh, Antler. uh, just got a date as of like a couple of years ago. 
if uh, for our listeners in episode three, we talked about this movie. Is it Antlers or Antler? Antlers. Antlers? Yes. Um, Stephanie talked about a movie she was excited for this year. And like a couple days ago, they just finally. Oh, a couple days ago. You said a couple years ago. Oh, I'm sorry. I told you I can't talk today. So okay. that's no, that's okay. <laughs> um, like, wow, I'm really out of the loop. Okay. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, idiot. It came out a couple years ago. Stupid idiot. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so anyway, I watched also the first Hellraiser, Devil's Pass, Dead Silence, again, for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, seventh Moon. I watched part of Before Someone Gets Hurt. All of Darkness Falls, uh, One Missed Call, Shudder, and then Channel Zero, Season 2. Steph was on a tear this week. I was on a tear this week. Or, um, I guess this is this is two weeks, kind of. But um, I was much less impressive. Um, so, Steph was talking about uh, Channel Zero in the last podcast. Um, it was that awesome show on sci-fi that flew kind of under the radar. Uh, I mean, I heard about it kind of, but I didn't really know what it was. So I just ignored it. Well, I only literally told you about it a thousand times. (laughs) Yeah. And then, so stuff, the only reason I really like, it really came on to my brain to be like, no, I need to watch it is like how much Steph would talk about it. Right. Um, And then she really talked about it last week. And I was like, or in our last episode. And so, um, so I got on it and I actually started off with season one. Um, because at first I, I didn't understand that it was every season was a different story. So I thought I had to start with season one. Um, so I took an edible (laughs) and started watching season one. Um, by the way, amazing. Like, um, on like, just a, just a little bit, just a little bit high watching season one was actually very enjoyable. And, and actually like, I really liked the, the atmosphere of it. It is a little bit silly compared, especially compared to season two, but, um, and I'm now on the last episode of season one. Um, and it's getting like less scary as they explain what's going on. Um, Mm. but it's still, it's still kind of spooky. Um, but season two, blows my mind it is so good i love season two so so good um season two is no end house for those of you who don't know yeah yeah um season one is candle cove and season two is no end house and uh two different stories and um season two is just the best so highly highly recommend channel zero just echoing what steph talked about before um and then i watched I rewatched Followed recently, uh, and we'll talk about that here. That's a found footage uh, horror movie that, um, I mean, by recently, I mean, like, when was that? When did it? I think it was last year. Yeah, it finally came on Amazon Prime, and the filmmakers I was reading about it were trying to get it onto Amazon Prime forever, and they finally were able to. So check that out. Very good movie. Uh, the Blair Witch Project, I watched that a couple weeks ago, both the original and the um, 2016 mm-hmm. remake. Yeah. Um, and then Hell House LLC, which Steph, again, turned me on to. Steph is usually the like my source for what should I watch <laughs> next? She'll tell me. So I got all the good <laughs> stuff. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, and Hell House LLC is not Hell House. That's a different movie. Um, but it it is very good. Um, and we'll get into it in a bit because it's found footage as well. I I also uh well not over the past two weeks, but recently I watched Hell House LLC two and three. Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah. How are those? Little little less uh good the, the first one the, the second one had definitely had moments but um i mean it was it was kind of bad but it, like like i think it's worth a watch the third one is not worth a watch <laughs> not at <laughs> all just don't now is it the same is it it's not the same people like the same director and producer i don't know i mean that's uh, no it is the same director oh it is okay yeah Okay, gotcha. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, the first one, really good. Like, I was I was kind of taken aback at how spooky it actually is. Um, and we'll we'll get into that a little bit when we talk, start talking about the found footage movies that we recommend. It sounds very generic in like the description, but it's surprisingly really yeah. good and surprisingly touching. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, okay. So this week we are obviously getting into, like we said, found footage. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to start off by talking a little bit about the history of the horror genre. Um, I'm sorry, the horror subgenre of found footage. Because uh, it has some interesting ties back to um, like literature and all that stuff. So um, something that I found when I was kind of digging around and trying to figure out where its origins were, were um, like I mentioned, it's ties back to uh, novels and, um, you know, literature that was written three, 400 years ago. Um, and there's a certain type of, of novel that became popularized. Um, it was around the 17th century, but, um, it's called the epistolary novel. And what it is, is it's, it's a novel that's written to seem more like it's a collection of like letters being written between people or documents. And um, it's all, of course, still fiction, but it's written to seem like it's um, a collection of things that are nonfiction. So it's trying to blur the lines. These epistolary novels try to, you know, blur the lines between um, reality and what's real and what's not um, and really kind of submerge the, the reader in something that seems like they're reading um, letters written by, you know, real people. Uh, the first known novel of this type was called um, Prison of Love, but um, it's a Spanish, it was a Spanish novel written in 1485 um, that was the first known epistolary novel. And like I said, it, it, it seems like it started to pick up speed around like the 17, um, 17th century, um, forward. Uh, some of the first examples of the epistolary horror novel is, uh, Dracula, uh, Frankenstein, and then H.P. Lovecraft's short story, um, The Call of, I'm going to butcher how to say it's this. It's Cthulhu. Actually, Cthulhu, thank you. Cthulhu. Um, <laughs> a very famous short that was like credited as being one of his, you know, genius works. 
And it's one of those words I've seen a million times and just can't seem to pronounce. Um, <laughs> so that was uh, what? <laughs> Stephanie's judging me right now for not being able to pronounce Cthulhu. Um, I am. <laughs> but it's okay. fine. Um, <laughs> we can move on, I guess. <laughs> um, anywho, so that was kind of the... Uh, in what I was reading, a lot of people were tying the rise of found footage kind of back to um, this idea of incorporating, uh, you know, playing with form in a way that makes things seem like they could be real um, to make the experience a little bit more visceral. So um, I thought that was interesting. And um, one of the one of the first films to do this um, was a film called one of the first horror films to do this was a film called cannibal holocaust um that was released in 1980 um i i'll just be honest i have not seen this movie but um i also don't know if i have the stomach for it <laughs> i have not seen cannibal holocaust and i have no desire to see cannibal holocaust uh, it's rough um i also don't like italian movies or rather specifically italian horror yeah yeah it's it, it's i don't know i i i know that there's it's it's a very it's very gruesome from what i hear and um it it actually has like real on-screen killings of animals and i just can't do that um at all to me um and a lot of people yeah hard pass and a lot of people say that it's uh it was more like it's a bit more like a 70s like a classic 70s exploitation film than an actual horror film but uh, it was classified as, as horror um something i thought was pretty funny was not funny but interesting was that the director uh ruggero diodato he was arrested when he returned to Italy after um, after its release on obscenity charges, mm-hmm. um, and he was actually brought to court because under um, attempted murder or suspected murder charges, and the cast actually had to show up to the courtroom um, to prove that they weren't dead because one of his, one of the things he told them to do um, after the film was made was he told them to. Um, to kind of create the illusion that, that it was real to dip off the radar for a while. Um, but they had to end up, they ended up showing back up to, like I said, help um, prove that he didn't actually kill them. <laughs> uh, it's just such an interesting case because it's one of, it's like, it's one of those first movies to, to, to use this form um, and, use the movie itself to create this sort of, you know, quote, viral marketing campaign around it to the point where um, people really thought this was, you know, a real movie and these things actually did happen to the, yeah. <laughs> to the point he was arrested. Yeah. And it was like, it was pretty new. Like it, it, it was, it was new to movies, but it, it was not new to culture you know, sort of like, like we were talking about the epistolary novels. Mm-hmm. We know, we knew that those weren't real. Like we knew that Call of Cthulhu wasn't real. I would hope so at the time it came out. <laughs> um, it, but it's written like it's coming from a letter, but it, it's obviously fiction. 
But then, so that's already in our head as, uh, okay, that's obviously not real. This is just a, a funny way of writing things. And then it comes to movies and it's like, oh, it must be, okay, it's real. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think we have um, a lot more trust in uh, movies and pictures when it comes yeah. to it being truth. Well, less so now, but when um, movies and photographs were new, which is not 1980, that's I know that (laughs) movies and photographs uh, very much predate Cannibal Holocaust, but uh, this style in movies was very new. And at a time where people, I think, were a bit more likely to believe in uh, photographic evidence, in, you know, video evidence than they are in 2021, that was like, oh, so I just watched a crime taking place. It, and we're going to fast forward um, 19 years later to the Blair Witch Project in a bit. But you go to the Blair Witch Project and they essentially did the exact same thing. And yeah. they, Eduardo Sanchez and Daniel Myrick were not arrested. Uh, the actors didn't have to show up to court saying, hey, no, I'm, I'm alive. But it's interesting how far we came in just under 20 years from that. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it reminds me of... Um, what was it? The first movie ever made was, um, well, it was the first film like shown in a theater. Um, and I think it was the first movie ever made as well. But anyways, it was the, it started off with the train. The camera was like sitting on the train tracks and the train was coming towards it. And they said that like the audience's reaction to that was um, to like run because they thought the train was literally coming for them and was going to run them over in the theater. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just, it's when I read about cannibal Holocaust and people's reaction to uh, the director and to like the story itself, it just, it reminded me of that, you know, like how, just how visceral it was for people and how, um, how real it all seems. And I think that's the special magic of found footage horror, even though we're much more literate when it comes to, you know, how real found footage is now it's, it still has that magic of seeming like it, it kind of blurs yeah. those lines, which is yeah. what I enjoy. I, I think um, probably less so now and less so as time goes on because it's not really new anymore um but it's still i still appreciate what it's doing Um, yeah and that's something i am going to talk about a lot with how poorly it's received the longer it goes on (laughs) the more found footage gets made especially post the blair witch project um but that's a whole other thing. We can continue with Cannibal Holocaust. No, I mean, it's, um, I have this note up here about it being, <laughs> it was actually kind of mocked. Um, the epistolary novel was actually, you know, mocked and made fun of quite a bit in like the 17th century, um, which I wrote might allude to it being seen as like a lesser form of storytelling, which I think is interesting uh, because, I think sometimes found footage carries that same stigma with it. I think people sometimes, maybe not in the horror um, community itself, but 
Um, oh, definitely a, for a community. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, in, not in fighting, but sort of in genre. Uh, yeah. Discuss. Yeah. And yeah, like, it's revulsion it's or found footage that, that yeah. transcends all genres. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about before about um, in last week's episode, we chatted about short horror short horror films and how um, they're a little bit more accessible because people, you know, they don't require typically as much budget um, as many resources to create um, sometimes. And that's definitely the case with found footage. You know, you can, you can create a found footage horror movie with a small budget. They're, they're good for that because they're supposed to look a little bit rough, right? They're supposed to be lesser. Um, the production value is meant to be a little bit, um, less than, you know, um, something Traditional that was clearly movie. Right. So it's supposed to look like that because that's the reality that they're bringing in. Right. Um, so what you'll see a lot of times is you'll see newer filmmakers, um, like it's a popular, it's a popular subgenre for a newer filmmaker because they can make it a, on a, like a smaller budget and they can make it with a smaller crew. Um, and typically like the actors are the ones holding the camera um, type of thing. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit more accessible. And I think maybe that's why it gets weird side glances from some people who have a, who have their noses up in the air about it. Well, I think uh, one of the common criticisms is that it's an excuse for lazy uh, sort of like craftsmanship because <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. they're like, well, you, you can just shake a camera around and you've made found footage. And it's like, okay, <laughs> that's not the point of found footage. Hmm. You know, the, the point of found footage is for it to look real and real people don't have tripods for arms. They just are holding a camera and we shake naturally. Although that would be a great horror movie. That would be a great, yeah, (laughs) steady cam for a body. (laughs) (laughs) Just like on a track, you know, (laughs) just like one, one person's mission to be the ultimate filmmaker or something stupid. I don't know. It's like a body horror movie. Teenage steady cam. Um, Yeah. Coming to theater soon. Yeah. But that, that's a common criticism that comes up a lot with found footage is it, that it's lazy. It's an excuse to be lazy. Um, that it's, oh, it's just another found footage. It's another copycat. And there's copycats in all genres. There's copycats in traditional filmmaking. That's not something that is unique to found footage. Yes. It, maybe it seems like a copycat because it is the same format where it's a shaky cam, but they all have very different, like the Blair Witch Project has absolutely nothing to do with the Bay. The Bay yeah. has absolutely nothing to do with Lake Mungo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Lake Mungo is admittedly, it's a mix of uh, found found footage you could say um with a documentary bent um but that has nothing to do with the taking of deborah logan you know it doesn't matter it's very different scenarios yes agreed and i always think it's funny that 
that criticism is always really funny to me that it's um, lazy because it, it, it's can certainly be lazy, but everything can be lazy. <laughs> Literally like, anything I, can be lazy. Something made a hundred million dollar budget can be lazy. Yeah. Like a found footage, like, and we know that found footage can be, can be great and groundbreaking, but it doesn't, I mean, just because there are some lazy tropes that people use or some lazy, you know, um, story arcs that people use and like it doesn't mean that the entire subgenre can, should be thrown in the trash and then <laughs> the other thing I was going to say is like um, you can use the same I mean we've talked about this before too like I no idea is really brand new sure like you know there's more creativity in some ideas than others but like you can tell a similar story in the same you know way and have it be complete a completely new and brilliant experience for the audience i don't understand like why it has to be i don't know i just don't under i never understand that criticism of of um of things like the whole genre the whole subgenre is is lazy it's like this just doesn't make any sense to me well, and that's the thing too, is I, it could be argued that it's not even a subgenre. Yes. Yeah. It can be about one thing can be about a supernatural occurrence. Like granted, most of them I think are about supernatural occurrences, but uh, something like the Bay has nothing to do with the supernatural. It's completely natural. Um, it's really large isopods. <laughs> that's what the Bay is about. <laughs> <laughs> like parasites um i'd like to think that's supernatural because i don't like to think about the fact that isopods are a real thing uh right but it no. the fact remains that it's not so i think i i understand why it could be classified as a subgenre, but i don't think it's necessarily one but mm -hmm. that's also sort of semantics yeah, no that's true that's true um so yeah cannibal holocaust um that's about all I have to say about it. It was just one of the first of its kind for the horror genre. Um, and I it's just fascinating, like how, how seriously people took it at the time because it was something that was so new. Um, and then you fast forward to the Blair Witch Project, um, which came out almost 20 years later. And um, it ended up, of course, we all know how, how that worked out. It ended up being the fifth highest earning independent film of all time. Had a really small budget um, for any movie. Um, but it was it was so popular, or it was so popular because it was a form that hadn't been seen a lot and people weren't that used to it. And it had, came out at a time in our history when it was pretty difficult to um, you couldn't just get online and debunk things, you know, it was, it was a little bit harder to find out, you know, if it was something that had actually happened. Um, and they had a guerrilla marketing strategy that just really caught fire and took off. Um, they, yeah. the Blair Witch Project came at such a unique time in history, like you said, when the internet was still new, it was still this like burgeoning thing, uh, when it was a lot harder to find things out. You know, and it's also it found footage wasn't completely new in 1999, but the Blair Witch Project revived it um, in America, at least. And they did such a good job at 
convincing people that it was real. They they filed like uh, or they posted fake like police reports. They posted fake missing uh, persons posters. They gave out missing persons uh, like posters at uh, a college campus. Um, they set yeah, up the camp- or, and at the Canfield Festival. Yeah. And they're like, have you seen this person? Please let us know. They set up a uh, website, the Blair Witch, or it's just called Blair Witch. It's still going to the state. It's still active. Um, and on it, it has, you know, like fake forensic evidence, police interviews. It has uh, obviously fabricated pages of Heather's diary, uh, which I was reading before this. And they're very strange writing that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. It's very odd. Uh, it, it's but it's it's cool. <laughs> we should, I, yeah. I can post the link to it. But it's just BlairWitch.com. Um, but there's also like Blair Witch uh, Pro Boards, which is just like a forum, but that's still active. Mm-hmm. People, I, I saw a post as recently as January 13th this year. This movie came out 1999. Like, <laughs> it is a 22-year-old movie. Yeah. Uh, and that really speaks to the timelessness and the strength of just how well they marketed this movie and the cultural impact in 1999 and beyond. Yeah. And it's, it's really funny. So I was, I was reading an interview with the woman who um, led the marketing campaign of the, the Blair Witch project. And um, she's not even in marketing anymore. She's, she's doing something else. I think. Girl, but, why? You're so good at it. It was funny because um she's you know was talking about how people for years have been like talking to her about how successful this campaign was like the like stephanie mentioned the um uh artisan entertainment uh built a whole website around the blair witch project and like steph said you know there was the missing persons reports on there pages from the uh from heather the leads uh diary um and this website amassed like over 20 million unique users relatively quickly. And they would post new things every week to keep people coming back. Um, And um, so she gets asked all the time, like how, how do you create what's called a guerrilla marketing strategy? Like it's a, it's super low budget and it it really depends or it, a guerrilla marketing strategy really relies on it being something that's like catches fire. Right. Um, and of course that's what everyone wants to do. So they're asking for years, I've been asking her this question and she's like, honestly, you know, you can't really predict like you can to a point, but you can't really like know for sure what is going to be the thing that sparks and catches fire. Like, Mm -hmm. um, but this did like, it just, it absolutely just, um, spread. Like I, I keep using the fire, you know, um, analogy, but it just spread around the world and um and people thought it was real like they were very like invested in this story like before the movie even came out we're already like you know everyone was talking about it i I remember when it came out um i was pretty young i think i was in middle school at the time and um everyone was talking about this movie and um the lead actress heather donahue said her mother 
was getting like sympathy cards and people would like stop her on the street because they were like, I'm so sorry, like about your daughter. And she's like, she's not dead. Like it was, it's a movie. (laughs) Oh, Heather Uh, Donahue's mom. (laughs) You're breaking my suspension of disbelief. This is Heather Donahue. (laughs) No, Um, but it was, I think it was a similar thing where um, the actors and actresses kind of laid low. Um, for a little while, but um, nowhere near as extreme a reaction. Um, and by that, I mean, no one got brought into jail, like Stephanie mentioned, um, like cannibal Holocaust, but um, people believed that this was true, you know? And mm-hmm. I remember, I remember being like, just, I had nightmares about a movie that I'd never seen because I was, you know, what, 12, 11 or 12 at the time. And I was just hearing, like hearing people talk about it and hearing people talk about what was up on this website and um, talking about it like it was real. I was petrified. And I'd never seen the movie. I don't think I had any nightmares about it, but I, I have a really clear memory of our dad telling us about one of his coworkers who went to see yes. in theaters who like passed oh, out in the that. theater or, or threw up or something um, because it was so terrifying. And I was like, wow. <laughs> I know. And it's so, so funny. Cool. You watch it now. And it's obviously it's a good movie, but you just watch it now and you're like, I can see if, if you thought it was real, I can see. It is. And that's the thing too, is watching it now is never going to be like watching it then if you were one of the people who really thought that it was real. And I may have been a person who thought it was real too. I don't know. I didn't watch it because I was eight. Um, and I didn't see it in theaters. And I didn't, I don't remember when I first saw it. It wasn't until much later. Yeah. Uh, like it's hard to really know how scary it is because to me, I know that it's fake. It's, it's fake. Mm-hmm. Um, so what were these people feeling? I mean, that's so much fear, that's so much anxiety and so much worry that like that, that's just that's such a uh phenomenon like a uh what am I trying to say? A cultural phenomenon that happened in 1999 that I don't think can currently be replaced at least not in the same way or uh replicated rather. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. I don't like well, we know that something like that wouldn't be able to not in the same way, at least Mm -hmm. like be able to happen again. Um, People, I mean, for as much misinformation as there is floating around out there and how easily people are fooled into thinking certain things are real. um, (laughs) We generally at large (laughs) will use our brains (laughs) and be like, no, this isn't real. Especially when it, Especially when it comes to movies and and photographs, there's a think a yeah. pretty healthy amount of skepticism. Now. Yes. Yep. Agreed. Um, so, I mean, the Blair Witch Project was really like the after Cannibal Holocaust. I mean, movies weren't coming out in rapid succession after Cannibal Holocaust came out. That followed that same, you know. Um, that same form, but after the Blair Witch Project came out and um, people started realizing that, no, this is, this is a fictional film. (laughs) 
By the way, I remember somebody telling me, like a friend at school telling me, you know that they found like the Blair Witch tape under virgin earth, meaning the earth has <laughs> never been touched before. And I was like, oh, fuck, fuck, like, Jesus <laughs> Was that your, was that your? Yeah, I just uh, got so scared about the virgin earth part. A bunch of CDs just dropped. (laughs) Stephanie, were they stacked like the rocks in the Blair Witch Project? They were stacked like the rocks. And then I I found Joshua Leonard's tongue in between them. And it was really nice. And I was Um, like, wow, dude, this is from 20 years ago. (laughs) What's up with, how did we not find this before? (laughs) and that's our Blair Witch joke um so yeah like so after after the Blair Witch Project became um as infamous as it became um it became a form that we started to see a lot more of right it really like popularized this found footage form um in the broader horror film community and that um of course, we see, you know, how how many there are now. And, of course, there's some that do it really well and some that don't, just like with anything. But the Blair Witch was really the thing that kind of kicked it all off. And for that, we are forever grateful. Yes, absolutely. To our mother, the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to mother, mother Blair Witch. Um, and... Yeah, and so I've got a quote here from uh, an article talking a little bit about this um, called, uh, well, sorry, the website is Screen Rant, and then the quote is, the subgenre started off as a response to the internet, reality television, and easier accessibility to home recording devices, and rose in popularity as viral videos became more commonplace. However, the demand for these films dwindled after the turn of the 2010s as the style became worn out. Still though, as technology continues to rapidly evolve and filmmakers discover new visual modes of storytelling, the thrill of the found footage horror movie may yet survive. Um, and I agree. I mean, I don't think that like, like we've talked about, I don't think things need to be brand new every time to survive. You know, I think that there's still unique ways to do things the way that they've always been done. Um, but I thought that was interesting how they placed it in the um, historical context of like the internet and reality television. Mm-hmm. I think um, especially with the advent of uh, the internet and well, s- sort of like TV and things like that. Um, anything with fiction, the later we get, sorry about that. The later we <laughs> get in uh, history, um, up until now, the more we uh, desire more immersive experiences. I mean, games look, some of them look really real now. Uh, There's VR. You know, we want things to be really, really real. Haunted houses have gotten scarier. You know, (laughs) people pay for extreme haunted houses uh, because they they want the whole experience. Um, Yes, yes. And it goes back to what we were talking about when we were in, in our first episode, when we were talking about why, why horror is, or how watching a horror movie feels like a safe way to experience something that's an actual stressful thing. Should it happen to you in real life? Right. Um, 
And it's interesting because, you know, found footage kind of takes us that one step closer to to reality. Reality. So it's um, when it was new and it was something people hadn't seen before, it was like legitimately terrifying, like, you know, to the point where maybe it was just too stressful for, for a lot of people. Um, but it's just another, it's another um, evolution of, you know, it's another way to get audiences closer to reality without actually being there and experiencing that for real, <laughs> obviously. Mm-hmm. So, um, and people are, you know, like Steph said, haunted houses are getting more extreme. There's, you know, there's stuff that starts to cross the line of, of course, with, um, with, as you know, with anything, there's stuff that starts to like cross the line, like some of these extreme haunted houses, like you're actually in danger sometimes you know you sign waivers to be put into danger because people want that sensation they want to like get as close as they can without feeling like they're gonna die yeah and Um, also i I think one of uh, something that i've thought about a lot about why people hate it so much other than um there are a lot of copycats especially for the blair witch um after the Blair Witch came, unfortunately, Paranormal Activity, which I <laughs> never liked. <laughs> I I liked that movie when it first came out, but I I can't. I've tried to rewatch it, and I'm I'm not as into it at all anymore. It's not very good. Um, but re- regardless of whether or not it's good, that had a gigantic impact, and it 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 almost sort of re revived found footage at, at that point, but everything was kind of trying to be paranormal activity. Um, So and the movie that it was drawing from, in my opinion, was not very good. So those weren't very good um, copycats. Uh, However, I think one of the main reasons outside of that, why people just have like a, a much more negative, like strong negative reaction to found footage uh, other than just a bad horror movie um, is because it is asking us to not just suspend disbelief, but to thoroughly to believe instead of saying, Hey, just sort of turn off, you know that it's fictional, but you're suspending your disbelief because this is part of the experience of, you know, being immersed in this fictional world, but it's asking you in some way to actually believe them actively. And I, I think maybe after the Blair Witch Project, because so many people thought it was real, um, and that was because they did a really good job at asking people to think that it's real. They they put, you know, fake police reports, uh, fake uh, police interviews on video, diary from Heather's page, or uh, pages from Heather's yeah. diary, um, forensic photos, things like that. They did such a great job at presenting it as real that when people found out it wasn't real, they felt like they had been duped. Yeah, like They felt they like they angry. had been fooled. Yeah, they're like, I I passed out for nothing. <laughs> you know? yes. Like, I, I felt really pissed. terrified and anxious for nothing. Like, you had me going and you have fooled me. And fool me once basically <laughs> people were angry i remember that people that were reaction. genuinely mad yeah 
it, it's yeah. like this genuine anger, like, how dare you do this to me? Because I put my emotions on the line for these characters, and it turns out they're just actors. Um, which is another cool thing that they did, which they use their real names also. Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's something that's definitely a, a root cause behind some people's more extreme revulsion to it. Um, but another, yeah. a, another thing that comes up a lot in found footage is either the audience or an actual character in the movie saying, why are you filming or why are you still filming? And that's, <laughs> it's, a lot of people will ask that. And, you know, like the audience were like, hey, why, why are you filming when you're being chased by like a demon or something? Right. Right. Or by Bigfoot, you know, like why are you still filming? And I think a lot of the time that the answer that they will give is because I have to. Yeah. And uh, in the Blair Witch Project, they ask Heather why is she still filming, and she says because it's all I have. Like that, this is all I have left. Mm -hmm. Because if she doesn't have the camera in front of her, it is like it's just way too real. <laughs> and it, it's yeah. almost comforting because it's it's like this barrier separating you between you and the yeah. horror that's happening in front of you and that's something that is really well described in the movie savage land which came out in i believe 2015 um which is one of my favorite movies uh and uh the quote that i have from this is uh the so that just to give some context the movie is about um, this this man who, in like I think Arizona or something, this very very small sort of impoverished um, town where a lot of immigrants live, um, undocumented Im immigrants live, where like no one cares about this town. The entire town is just wiped out overnight by this mm -hmm. horde of whatever you want to call it, like undead, I guess. Yeah. Um, and the only survivor is this guy who was an amateur photographer, and he took photos of basically the entire night. And the questions that people are asking him is, why did you do this? <laughs> and they also blame him for killing them. I don't really know. Um, but yeah. they, they throw out the photos as evidence. They say they're not real. And like also a survivor's guilt type thing, but it's coming at him from other people. Well, they, they blame him and they, they convict him of being the killer. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Um, and in the photos uh, of the, uh, he's taking photos of everything that's happening, of like the undead attacking people, of people dying. And it's sort of like a faux documentary. Um, so it's a little, it's not, it's not found footage. It's faux documentary with like found photos. And in the some of the like the talking heads that they interview, there's this guy who is supposed to be uh, like a uh, photojournalist, and he talk he gives sort of his insight, and he says uh, the amazing thing about being a photographer is so long as you are behind that lens, so long as you are shooting through that lens, you are indestructible. While you're shooting, you can't be hurt. And it's like this is why he was shooting. This is why he didn't put the camera down. And not only do a lot of characters in these movies, like, 
they feel like they have to in order to capture the truth of what's happening. Or in the cases of this is um, the footage of like a, a documentary crew or like a like a journalist, it's it's the the answer that they give is because the people deserve to know the truth. Like you're hiding this. People deserve to know. Um, but it's really just <laughs> because you need the proof that this is happening. And also mm-hmm. a, a camera is a barrier between you and the things that are happening in front of you. Like behind a the camera lens, you can be fearless. And you're a little bit removed. From- and you're a little bit removed and you're like an observer instead of a participant in this you know, in reality. Yeah. No, I love that quote. Um, and, you know, um, both Stephanie and I um, are like, Stephanie's more professional, um, but we've, we've both been hired to like shoot things. Um, and by that, I mean, photograph events and weddings and stuff. So it's just interesting because having that perspective, like when you read that quote, it actually does feel like that when you're, um, taking photos, you kind of feel very, you're removed from what's happening in front of you. And um, I know that I I get kind of lost in it. You know, I'm, I'm active and I'm talking to the people that I'm taking photos of, but you do feel kind of lost in what you're doing. And it is kind of like a little bit of a, a step. You're like a step away from the people that you're working with. So mm-hmm. that's I like that perspective of, of found footage horror and why they film, you know, because it does, give them a little bit of a it removes yeah. them just, just a little bit it's it's a survive like an emotional survival tool like in the Blair Witch Project uh, because she, if she's not making this movie then she there's nothing for her like then yeah. she will just die uh, it's a means of uh, sharing the truth whatever that truth is with the world with saying these things actually happened this thing is real. We never thought this would be possible. We didn't think like science never said that this would be possible and it's apparently possible. So yeah. here's the like the hard evidence that this happened to me and that my pain is real. Mm-hmm. And then there's also a, a literal tool of survival uh, like it, it, in a found footage where it's being filmed in a really dark place like as above so below. They're in the catacombs under Paris. There's no light. <laughs> They have to use the camera light. So that's why in the ending of the movie, she gets to sort of like the end of the catacombs, like the very bottom, and she has to go back up to get something. She takes the camera with her. She she kills a monster with it. It's pretty great. But then she's also using it for a light because she can't she can't see. Yeah. Yeah. So using the camera as a tool. Yeah, it's. um, That's really interesting. Um, and I also, oh, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, uh, it's also, what is the equivalent of this in traditional filmmaking? The equivalent is breaking the fourth wall, which is always like this fun little choice, you know, that they make, but that's not, that can get kind of boring in a traditional movie. Yeah. In found footage, there is, there's no wall. (laughs) This is, it's supposed to be, there's no barriers, they're, yeah, you know, so anyway. Yeah, they're, the people are aware of the camera. They're aware of how the story is being conveyed through the camera, like, and they have to 
deal. They have to act like that's what's going on. And I think what's really interesting too, like a unique challenge of found footage is um, how it has to deal with reality in a way that um, Mm -hmm. traditional films don't. Right. Um, So they have to like address it. It seems like they have to address these same questions every time. Like you said about, people asking, why are you, why do you still have this camera on? Because in reality, like that would be strange, right? If something really um, terrifying and unknown was happening to you or attacking you and somebody had a camera on, that would be odd. So um, with found footage, like they have to address those questions um, or they feel like they do, you know? Um, And it's a unique challenge. I think that found footage Mm -hmm. faces versus other films because other films can kind of get away with, you know, um, taking you into these places where um, you don't ask questions about why you're there, you know, but the audience is hyper aware of like, why, why are you still filming? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and in some movies where it's a, not a good movie, it, it really doesn't make any sense. But in a movie that's doing that really well, they have a, they've uh, have a better constructed idea and a a better constructed character who is taking control of the camera that's why they're there and it's usually not very like the character who's holding the camera who's directing this whole thing is not very different from movie to movie yeah it's it's a film crew it's a cameraman um yes that's kind of it (laughs) but yeah and i i did love what you said about as above so below um because I think that at what they did there that was really unique, like you said, was they used the camera as like a tool because they were heading down into the, like Steph already explained into the catacombs of Paris where it's pitch black. Um, if you go off trail and go into, you know, parts that aren't supposed to be walked around, um, which they do, it's dark. So they use it as they use it as a tool to kind of move around. So it makes more sense that they're, it's on all the time and it's being used. So they don't necessarily have to address those questions as much, which is actually kind of refreshing. Yeah. It's not a question. Yeah. I I liked it. Like they, uh, she brought the camera in there to, to have video evidence of what she's looking for. Yeah. But they also need the light in the camera so that they can see where they're going. Yeah. So that's just interesting, which I didn't, I've never thought about it like that before. So, like, when they accidentally, at at the end, one of the characters gets, um, like, severely injured, and he's the one who's holding the camera, the camera, like, strap, but they're, basically, they're dragging him off um, to get away from these things that are attacking them. The camera um, falls, but it's still strapped onto his foot, and so we're being dragged along with him, and then eventually it falls off, and they go into the dark when she has to go back up the catacombs to get something, I'm trying to make this spoiler free. Um, she has to go back up the catacombs. She grabs the camera along the way and immediately smashes one of the monsters in the head with it. <laughs> it's it, a it's, nice like, comical relief moment. <laughs> yeah. It, it, she's literally using it to survive in, in that case as well. So. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think that's a really good point. Um, that movie is that movie surprised me with how much I, I liked it. Um, 
yeah, just a really creative and, and good movie. And like Steph said, uses that, you know, the, um, the things that found footage has to deal with in a really uh, unique way. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, that's kind of like, the, I mean, the general history of found footage, of course, is really interesting. And then um, we've touched on a few of the the movies that we love the most, but we have, we have a whole list here that um, of films that we should kind of dig into a little bit and talk about. But um, I think one on this list, Lake Mungo is interesting because it kind of blends two different, um, a few different styles into one film, right? Yeah, you could you could say it's not found footage because yeah, I struggled with that one because I I had it um I had posted about our some of our favorite found footage um, horror movies on um, on Instagram and I had listed this one there and I had a moment where I was like, is that an actually like a found footage horror it's movie? It's not technically found footage. It, it's like a faux documentary a mockumentary you know um but i don't know i I, it still in my head it does because there is actual literal found footage in it i guess a little bit no and and i kept it there because there is found footage uh blended into the larger film which is built like a documentary would Mm -hmm. and that's and that's another interesting thing of course that people have been doing more and more of um over the last 10 plus years or so uh, the, the mockumentary style of film that um, again, plays with that reality, that sense of reality. Um, mm-hmm. Lake Mungo, of course, um, takes a couple different styles and kind of blends them together in a way that's really scary. I, I thought that movie was terrifying. Well, a few of our, the movies on our list are actually really good examples of that uh, documentary being blended with found footage over the past 10 years. Like, uh, I have, like I talked about earlier, Savage Land, um, which is faux documentary with found pictures. Uh, Butterfly Kisses, which is a, a very self-aware examination of found footage. Um, uh, what am I? <laughs> Lake Mungo. I'm sorry about that. Uh, Lake Mungo, which is, like we said, it's like kind of hovering in between. Yeah. Um, uh, and the taking of Deborah Logan, that's another. Yeah, that's a very blend. polished found footage movie because yeah. they're there to make a documentary. Right, right. Yeah. It's more of, yeah, it, it, it that one probably leans more towards the, well, no, it's both because it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be footage gained by the, um, or taken by the documentary crew. Mm-hmm. So um, that's another good example of that. Um, and yeah, I mean, touching back on on Lake Mungo I that movie is just it does such a good job with kind of um building the suspense just through like breaking up interviews with the family about around um this big event that took place which I won't spoil it for you but um you know they're dealing with grief but you're slowly learning over time um what what it is about the situation that's so heartbreaking and uh, is, is like haunting this family basically. Um, and they do a really good job of uh, breaking up the interviews. So you're, st- you're like, you know, slowly getting more and more invested in what the story is. 
Um, and then of course they release uh, footage that makes you feel a little bit closer to the, the actual victim in the movie um, because it's taken from a, a large amount of it is like her footage that she took um, on herself. her cell phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On her cell phone. Um, so yeah. And you know, that final scene like I said, I won't spoil it, but the, the final, one of the final moments in that movie is just like, just sat with me for such a long time. Same. Um, yeah. It's uh, once you find out what the, what's been, what was going on. And once you see some of those final found footage images from this, um, this teenage girl's uh, cell phone, it's just like absolutely heartbreaking and so scary. Like I just, it sat with me for a really long time, that movie. It, the, a lot of the movie is um, trying to figure out, well, for one thing, what, what happened to her, but there's such an incredible amount of dread with it. And that's also, that's like what it's literally about her feeling this intense dread because she, she knows what's going to happen. And it, it presents a lot of interesting questions, I think. And yeah. it really, it, it has you really ask yourself a lot of questions. Yeah. It's, it's very haunting. It, it gets to you in a surprising way, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it deals with some things that like, you just don't expect it to deal with. And so it kind of comes out of nowhere. Um, and just like, really hits you in the gut um, because by when they release that information to you, they have built this emotional connection, right. Um, already, which is, I think the mark of a, of a finely made film. Um, so. Well, also uh, another really strong point is the actors are like scary good at mm-hmm. um, making it seem real. Like it seems very, very real. Like this seems like a very real family. They do not seem like they're just, you know, acting yeah. in a movie. It's mm-hmm. and that's something that was uh, very much pointed out in a lot of reviews about the movie was like, if I didn't know that this was obviously fake, mm-hmm. it's like this seems like like a real family. They do that so well, and I think they also do that extremely well in the uh, Blair Witch Project, partially because a lot of it was kind of real, mm-hmm. because. Um, the directors, they 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 hired them. They were cast on their ability to improvise really convincingly. They uh, didn't give them very much of a script, if anything at all. It, it was sort of like host in the way that they gave them a crash course on um, like audiovisual techniques and like you know camera work, and they kind of just sent them out into the woods. <laughs> uh, yeah. And with a guide with like a general idea, but yeah, yeah, of what to what to do, like you know where the the story is going. But for the most part, they were really kept in the dark. And in a, a the sequences where the uh, characters are sleeping, they wake up because there's loud noises happening outside their tent. Um, and like there's a part where the whole tent shakes, and they scream. <laughs> That's the uh, crew doing that. And they didn't know it was happening. Oh, so interesting. Okay. They're like genuinely shaken and anxious and cold and hungry. They they gave them an ever like a smaller amount of food rations. So they're like, mm. they're they're going through it. 
real. I would have been, like, been out at that point. I would have been like, oh, yeah. I, I need my three course meal I'm or I'm, yeah. I walk. I have a big fucking baby when I'm hungry. So I am too. <laughs> um, I think that's definitely way better than, you know, your Stanley Kubrick and Shelley Duvall type situations. Yeah. I mean, uh, I would- I would prefer that to emotional, straight up emotional abuse. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, thank you. I'm good about that. But when it comes to just they're getting kind of hungry, they're cold because it's winter and they're in Maryland um, and they're sleep deprived because keep getting waken up by the crew. (laughs) (laughs) It, It made for a genuinely effective like reactions and yeah it just it feels very real because partially they made it very real but also the actors are extremely good at being you know convincingly real and they're the actors in lake mungo are equally as good i think yeah and i remember you and i talking about this recently when um i just rewatched the blair witch project like a couple weeks ago and um i was talking to stephanie and i was saying one thing that I appreciate about the Blair Witch Project is that their their reactions to what's going on around them seem very um, real. Uh, they seem very realistic. Like, they're at the appropriate level of freaked out, right? Um, whereas yeah. something, that, something that irks me about some of the uh, found footage that I don't like, you know, some of the movies I've watched that I don't like, is, and this is this might just be not like <laughs> poor acting or direction, you know, mm-hmm. is the zero to like a thousand reactions that you get, like um, just screaming at people like to stop filming for like no apparent reason. And like the over the overreactions to things that haven't really kicked off quite yet. And um, I think that the Blair Witch Project, I like how this episode has just become like our love. This is, yeah. this might as well be changed from <laughs> we're talking about found footage to we're talking about the Blair Witch Project. That's <laughs> um, something I love about that is like the actors, they say similar things, right? They were like one of the first movies to like, you know, use the, use these lines of like shut the camera off and stuff like that. But it's like very realistic like i would have that reaction if someone was you know doing Mm -hmm. that to me and i would i would be pissed if someone did that and i would you know like it's not it just feels a lot more realistic than some of the um more i i would say like more poorly made found footage horror movies yeah Um, i think that's what differentiates them is it doesn't feel like um you don't feel like you're being taken out of the moment because this person is having like a large overreaction to something that hasn't really happened yet it feels more like no that's that's like a realistic reaction which is something that found footage kind of has to stick with because it's based it's supposed to be filming reality you know Mm -hmm. this is how people actually react it's very different from this is how people in a movie react yes correct yeah so um, so that's what that's what I really liked about the Blair Witch Project, and I think that's what makes all of these movies that we have um, on this list good is that they are they are pretty like normal reactions to something really obscene happening to you. We have like Creep on here, um, which is a really good movie 
with two very talented um, actors. And again, it's another one of those that kind of, you feel tense from the very beginning. Um, you can tell that there's something going on with this person. From they, Mark start. Duplass does an incredible job at, uh, being the, the titular character, the creep. He does such a good job at everything feels really unsafe. And it's like, I mean, it's just from the start. Mark Duplass is great. I know. <laughs> he, he does he is such so a, good. He looks like he could be a really creepy dude. And he he has such a like a serious like facial expression. Like like new, his neutral face is like looks very, very serious. And like he could kind of kill you. Um <laughs> and you know, that's sort of what he does in creep. And he's also really funny, which he uses to like his advantage here. Cause it's almost a little comical, like how scary he is, but it actually makes it scarier. I think mm-hmm. the air yeah. that he has about him. Well, and, and creep, I mean, he's a pathological liar, so you, yeah. you cannot know what to trust. Like literally, I don't like, I, I don't know if you could say we ever meet the real, um, do we ever meet the real Mark Duplass? No, uh, his character, I think his character's name is Joseph. Like, do we ever meet the real Joseph? Also, is that even his real name? Uh, yes. yes. It's very possible. This is something they went into in Creep 2, but I try to forget that Creep 2 happened. So I haven't seen Creep 2. Don't. Not good. No. It's somebody else, isn't it? Is, is no, Mark it's him. Duplass- oh, he's in it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Never mind. Um, well, don't watch Creep 2. You heard it here. Um, now, uh, a found footage pair that is amazing is Graving. And I, we have to talk about Grave Encounters on this one. Um, Grave Encounters and Grave Encounters 2. Um, both excellent films. And I would love to talk about it with Stephanie. Um, Grave Encounters 2, I don't think got as good of reviews. Uh, but they can kiss our butt. Well... And I was one of those people with Grave Encounters too. I I hated it the first, like at least the first time and the first several times because, uh, like, <laughs> <I'm> just- <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we, we'll learn over the course of this podcast that I've I've had some wrong opinions, and I can admit that. What crazy? Uh, so that's <laughs> crazy. Um, we'll also learn that I'll watch a movie that I absolutely hate and then I'll watch it 10 more times. So that's what I did with Grave Encounters 2. We've also learned that I don't know how to pronounce like very basic things. So, um, Cthulhu. Oh, you're all <laughs> crazy. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. All right. I go think ahead. to be fair on its, on the very, on the surface of Grave Encounters 2, it's trying to seem like it's a really bad movie. But it actually ends up being an amazing movie. <laughs> yeah, and I think that yes, like it's funny. It, like I know exactly what you're saying because Grave Encounters Two is like I don't know what it is about it, but there is something where you're like I I can see how people watch this and say this is a shit movie. Well, but it- I love it. It's it's kind of like in, like they were doing it on purpose to make it 
Mm. Like, because these people are like truly insufferable. The characters are insufferable people. Like, I absolutely hate the lead. The girl is whatever, but she's annoying. Uh, Letterkenny guy, who I only realized I was the Letterkenny guy after I obviously watched Letterkenny. So I liked him. <laughs> granted, I liked him a lot more after I watched Letterkenny. Mm-hmm. But you know, he's 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 okay, but he's kind of insufferable. Like, there's no one in this movie that I actually like. Yeah. Uh, so it's like a really big turnoff, and you have to really stick with it. But I, I promise it. The end is just like the la- like the final third of the movie is just like it makes me like laugh with joy of how much I love it. <laughs> it's so yeah. it just it goes off, and it's so good. <laughs> it does. Um, and for for those who haven't seen Grave Encounters, it's um, it's. Uh, when I first watched the first movie of course the the very first thought that I had was that they're making fun of um, Ghost Adventures with that show that's on the Travel Channel or it was on the Travel Channel I think it's I think one, it's still going the one that we watched uh, yeah Growing you up, and I that would be Ghost Hunters I'm sorry not Ghost Hunters that's a different show Ghost Adventures is the one with Zach Bagans, I think oh. that's how you say his name. Yeah. Um, but he's he's like head to toe, like he's got like <laughs> he's just the funniest person on the planet to me. He's got like jet black hair and he always wears jet black clothes. Um, and his pants are always cargo pants, and he's usually has some sort of like affliction t-shirt on that's like bedazzled and like um my uh I was watching that show with like with my boyfriend um, years ago and he was saying he's like what do you think or I said what do you think he keeps in those cargo pants and he was like more cargo pants <laughs> like in all the pockets because the entire crew just stands around and they're so they're all wearing like the same thing like the same like Ed Hardy affliction t-shirts with like spiked hair and um, they're like bro did you hear that bro like oh my god like you know they're just cussing non-stop and they're just like hyper masculine and like just screaming at every little thing that happens and it's the funniest shit ever so um, so i i've heard of this guy and i legitimately thought it was like a parody <laughs> no he's I, very real he i i read real. the description to ghost adventures ghost adventures and then um i I feel like there's like a a movie oh yeah a documentary style film called ghost adventures um and i i thought it was like a self-aware parody like yeah no it's uh, not like grave encounters is they are very serious um and puts this into a whole new perspective they run around and they'll hear like a little sound and be like, bro, dude, bro, did you fucking hear that, bro? Like, that's how they talk. And it is by far the greatest show on TV. Um, I need to watch this now. <laughs> so good. And it's just really funny to watch them go into like these small towns out in the middle of, you know, like they're, they're just like these small kind of remote places. And um, these very conservative looking people just talking to Zach 
um, with his like spray tan and gelled hair and like bedazzled shirt. And he's like, oh, what? That's insane, bro. And they're just like talking like that to these like mom and pop people who own this hotel and are just trying to get free PR, you know? Um, and-, <laughs> and, and instead they got Zach Bates. <laughs> A cargo pant within a cargo oh pant. It's so good. It is the best show ever. Like, um, it's the greatest shit on earth. And so um it's been on literally for like 20 years. And I think they're still and I, I honestly think the reason that they're they are so successful is because they're they're that ridiculous. Like, um it's great. I mean, Ghost Hunters is um is a very good, like more serious show. Ghost Adventures is just wall to wall insanity. Um, so when I first saw Grave Encounters, what's his name? What's the character's name? Um, the lead character's name? Lance. I don't Lance, remember. Yeah, it's like Lance something, but he's wearing a, a like affliction shirt. Oh, and so I was like, and he and he's talking like Zach talks. So I was like oh, is this supposed to be like making fun of Ghost Adventures because they're doing the whole thing where the whole crew, like the camera zooms in, they're like standing back to back looking like tough, which is like, what they do with Ghost Adventures. Like, like, but ridiculously, like it's so yeah. stupid looking. Also, right. his, his name is Lance Preston. Lance Preston, yes. And he's, um, and he's like paying people, like people that work at this, um, this abandoned hospital that is like famous for being haunted. He's like paying the grounds um, keeper to like, tell him that he saw a ghost once and all this stuff. And it's just like, clearly it's kind of like making fun of those kinds of shows and um, for how quote, like fake they are. And then of course they go into the um, hospital and it ends up being not fake at all. And um, lots of spooky stuff starts happening to them. And it's another one of those where it's like impossible spaces and time doesn't make sense inside this hospital, you know, like yeah, the time just sort of stops. Yeah. And like the sun stops coming up and, mm-hmm. um, and they, you know, they bust down what they think is the the front door so they can leave. And it's actually just another hallway all of a sudden, but it's still the front door, you know, and it's, it's really good. It's very creepy. Like they do a really, really mm-hmm. good job. The opening, I'm like, oh, they're absolutely making fun of the the crew of Ghost Adventures right now. <laughs> I had seen enough Ghost Hunters to know that it was parodying, um, like you know, these ghost hunting shows, yeah. but right. I hadn't seen Zach Bagans. And again, I thought it was making fun of itself. <laughs> yeah. So this is. Nope. I am delighted, and that's what I'm going to do after. <laughs> it's so, so good. I highly recommend dive in, like, like around, I, I like, get past, like, season 10, probably. They, they start getting, like, good budget and stuff like that. No, I'm telling you, the show's been on for, like, over 20 years. Wait, but are you telling me I have to watch through 10 seasons? No, no, like, dig in past, like, okay. season Okay, okay. Like, um... I think we were watching like season 16 and oh my God, the one where they go to Ireland, like there's a whole season where they go to Ireland and it's just the greatest because they know they can't understand anybody. And they're just like yelling at these ghosts and my favorite. And, and they're like, they yell at the ghosts. They're like, why don't you come out here and show me what's up? You know, they like, <laughs> they're very like aggressive. 
We're just overtly masculine, like roided out with these ghosts, <laughs> and it's the greatest thing on earth. Oh my god, it's so good. It's so so good. Um, it used to be on Hulu, but part of me kind of remembers it not being there anymore. I don't think it's there anymore. They might have taken it off. Hold on. Yeah, you Those- might have to pay for it. Or not. <laughs> yes. Okay, so they have season 10 through 15, and then they have season 23 on Hulu. So I think they're phasing it out. I think they're taking it off Hulu, but um, catch it while it's hot. But the magic will never fade. Yeah, I mean, seriously. So that's Grave Encounters. Um, oh, and then. Uh- I just found out that in May of 2015, the directors said that they would be uh, making a prequel called Grave Encounters 3, The Beginning. But this was six years ago. And where is Grave Encounters 3? Yeah. um, So I'd like to invite everyone to sign my petition. uh, No. Yeah. To go to the Vicious Brothers' respective houses. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Don't uh, do that. <laughs> yeah. We're in a pandemic. Don't do I'll that. Just, um, I'll just write a strongly worded letter. It's fine. Do it. That'll that'll teach them. Um, it will teach them. <laughs> could we talk about let's talk about Hell House LLC? That maybe that could be one of the one of the last ones we touch on. Um I I'd like to first touch on Phoenix Forgotten because that's a really underrated movie. <laughs> oh, I haven't see I haven't seen that one. Take it away, Steph. Oh, I will take it away. So I just rewatched it last night because I love it so much. Um, I don't think this was, I mean, none of them are particularly well received, but I don't, I think this was very much not well received. And I remember I watched a trailer for it and I'm like, this looks kind of dumb. <laughs> like, it just didn't really look that great at, you know, like alien abduction things can be really boring after a while oh, um wow. and that's what it, it it's about the phoenix lights oh okay got it um uh for our viewers our listeners who don't know what the phoenix lights were i street channel and um all yeah, the you don't know your goddamn history i guess but in yeah, like the 90s, I want to say like 94 or something like that, there was a, a mysterious uh, formation of lights that appeared over the city of Phoenix. And uh, they just moved in a very weird way that wasn't that's not consistent with what a lot of people know, like aircraft, how that moves. There was, a, I think, an Air Force base nearby, but they said that they hadn't you know, done, they weren't doing any test flights. So it was like sort of unexplained. So of course people thought they were UFOs. Um, So that's what this movie is about. It's about uh, this family where this kid who was like 15, he was at their, uh, his sister's birthday party, who was turning six. He was filming that night and they were outside and that the Phoenix lights. So he's like in the movie supposed to be the person who filmed like the famous footage of the Phoenix lights. Oh God. Um, Okay. And after that, like everything changed. So what he did is he wanted to make a documentary finding out what happened. Like, what were these lights? Were they actually aliens? 
Is there something they're not telling us, you know? And he, after a couple days, he goes missing and he's never found. So the, the documentary sort of side of it is his sister, um, who uh, was six at the time again, uh, she's making this documentary trying to find out what happened to her brother because they just were, never got answers. And then she finds out what happens. It was aliens. <laughs> Spoiler, it was it. aliens. That'll um, do it. But it is such a powerful movie and it's just, it's incredibly good. The, when you see like, you, you don't see the aliens, um, but you see the ship. If you want to call it that. Um, it's so good though. You don't see it for very long, but it is so incredibly menacing and it's like, it's chasing after them. It's, I don't want to say more about it because it will give it away, but it, it looks amazing. And the final scene That's um, hard to do. of yeah, the, the final scene is someone getting abducted and the camera that the person's holding is falling through the air and it's very oh. disorienting and it's just spinning and spinning and spinning. And then it hits the ground. And then wow. the credits roll. It's yeah. great. It's a really good movie. Ooh, so, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It, it, okay. And it it's following the I think the more recent trend of blending the documentary with the found footage. Where the documentary, you're not asking why they have a camera on. They're making a documentary, but yeah. then they also she finds these tapes like after twenty years or twenty twenty five years. So yeah, it's really good. Yeah. We can talk about Hell House LZ now. Yeah, let's talk. Let's quickly, like, just of course, want to mention uh, Wreck and Quarantine because those are obviously yes. very famous uh, found footage horror movies. And um, I'm heartbroken though because Did you never I get to see it. No, so I have. So, Quarantine, I saw like in theaters, right? Um, love that movie. Um, love the actress. Um, what's her name? Emily Jennifer Carpenter. Are you thinking oh, of Emily yeah, Rose? Yeah, I'm thinking of Emily Rose. Sorry, the the movie where she started. Um, yes, thank you. Um, mm -hmm. So she's incredible. She's like an incredible actress. She does extreme like no one else. She's so good. Um, she was also, of course, like Steph said, in the exorcism of Emily Rose, and um, just amazing in that too. So amazing in that movie that I guess she scared the other actors um, when yeah. she was doing her big her big climax moment in the barn um, where she's like having a full on demonic moment. Um, those like shots of the other actors reacting to her are like real. They thought that she was like there was something wrong. Trouble. Yeah, yeah. She um, does such a good job at that. Yeah, she's yeah, she's amazing. So she's the star of Quarantine. The uh, the remake slash U S version of the um, Spanish movie wreck. And um, I have been trying to watch wreck. <laughs> and we have a funny story. So I've been trying to watch this, this freaking movie for years, right? It's like a pillar of the horror um, community. It's, it's just renowned for being so good. I have never been able to find a not English dubbed version. And I hate dubbed um movies and the dubbed the english dubbed version is awful like the actors the voice actors are like wow what? <laughs> I, I what they're usually bad yeah they're so bad um so 
it's just a, it's like a non-experience. Like you, you're just not, yeah, there's don't just watch nothing. So, um, but it's funny because I think I have like amnesia because every couple of years I'll like see it again on like Amazon and be like, oh, wait, like there it is. And I'll rent the stupid movie. And then it turns out to be the dubbed version, but it says that nowhere. It says wreck. And right next to it on Amazon prime, it says ESP, um, which in my mind stands for Espanol. Yeah. And the subtitles next to that. Mm -hmm. Um, Or it says subtitles in the description, making me think, okay, it's got English subtitles. Great. It happened to me. It freaking happened to me again. Like a few days ago, I was like, I'm going to watch this stupid movie because I'm like, I'm trying to find it. So I, I reached out to Steph and I was like, do you happen to have like a, a copy like on Plex or something of this movie? Like, I just can't find it. And, and Steph was like, oh, it's on Amazon. Um, and I was like, but isn't that just the English dubbed version? And, and she's like, no, like I've, I just watched it. Like it's, it's the Spanish version with English subtitles. And I was like, praise be because I've been trying to watch this movie. So I rent it and I start playing it and it's the freaking English dubbed version. <laughs> And Steph just somehow got I'm, I'm literally watching it as she's telling me it's yeah. English. And I, I sent, she sent me a video of them, uh, ha- the, the dubbed of the English. Yeah. And then I sent her a video of it on my TV where it is in Spanish, but it has English subtitles. It doesn't even have, um, it's not optional subtitles. They're like hard coded into the movie. Like, <laughs> it's, it, like it's not, it's I, I'm not even selecting it. subtitles. Yeah. It, we're watching the exact same one. The only difference is that I have an AMC Plus subscription, and that's how I can watch it for, like, you know, quote unquote free. And Ashley doesn't. So I was like, maybe start a free trial. I don't know why that would make a difference. Is AMC yeah. holding out on us? Like, if you're not a subscriber, you have to hear the dubbed. If you are giving us money, you get the good stuff. It's like, really I don't weird. know. If you go to that page, all of our listeners, if you go to the page on Amazon Prime, if you type in rec, it comes up with the option. Like it says, this is the movie. Here it is. You click on it and it says you can rent the movie for $3.99 or you can start the AMC Plus trial free for seven days. Uh, which do you want to do? And I, I rented it, um, but that was the English dubbed. And so I think my next step like Stephanie was asking me is to start the AMC free trial and see if there's for some reason that is a different version, but like, Oh my God, it has been preferential treatment for AMC plus subscribers. We're a different (laughs) class. Okay. Of people. (laughs) I got AMC plus because it had a couple movies that I wanted to watch on it. And then it also includes a shutter subscription so i just and, canceled shutter <laughs> and you just wanted to be better than everyone else <laughs> and i'm literally better than all of you so <laughs> it's just my amc plus subscription card that i got in the mail that's um in gold proves that yeah oh cool they send you your card and everything yeah oh, no that- other channel gives you a card and they just sent me one and i'm like oh, that makes yeah Nice. Okay. Well, now I definitely will sign up for an AMC Plus channel. I too want to be better than everyone else and have a card that proves it. Um, totally worth it. So yes, uh, of course, those are two pretty infamous ones. But um, we'll end our program by talking about Hell House LLC because I just love this movie, and it was something that Steph 
alerted me to. Um, and I could not believe that you hadn't seen it yet. Because once well, again, I know that I've told you about it. And I was like, go watch it. And you're like, yeah. No, and then <laughs> like a so, month ago, you're like, I'm going to watch <laughs> Hell House. And I'll see. I'm like, you're just now watching it? <laughs> you see, that would require me trusting your opinion. Or and... listening to me. or <laughs> Yeah. Sounds like a lot of work is the problem. Um, or following uh, the link to my letterbox list that I have very carefully curated over years. Ooh, yeah. And that um, you're like, hey, do you have any suggestions? And I'm like, yeah, go to my I letterbox. Do always, I do always ask her for suggestions, and there is a letterbox there. And so, uh, to my credit, the no. cover art for Hell- <laughs> All right. <laughs> Go Shut on. Up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, the cover art for Hell House LLC is Garbo. And so I thought that it was like, if you scroll past it on, on Amazon Prime, uh, it just looks like it's kind of hard to tell what it is, you know? So I think it, it just, it, it just blew past my, my radar every single time I was looking for something, but it is a really good, it's a really, really good movie. Um, I don't know how to describe Steph, I'll let you kind of describe it. Uh, so it follows this, um, this small crew of uh, these people, these friends who um, they build haunted houses um, every year at you know Halloween. And it's their own company um, started by these two best friends. Um, one of the guys, his girlfriend, you know, she's been with the company for as long as it's been around. Like, it's just all like a close group of friends who just travel around, uh, I think the country, but they live in New York and that's where they, they set up haunted houses. So they sort of get priced out of New York. So they end up going to what I think is a fictional town called, um, Abaddon in like somewhere in New York. And uh, Alex, who's the main character, buys this like really old, uh, rundown um, hotel. Well, it was a hotel in its glory days, but it's long since abandoned. And it it has a lot of like lore around it. It's known for, you know, being host to a lot of spooky events. Um, the The founder of the hotel is supposed to have been like this occultist, um, and just lots of really bad things were supposed to have happened here, but. They're like, it's a great location for, you know, a haunted house. Like, yeah, it's we, don't really, we just need to clean up a little bit, but it already has some decorations. Yeah. So, yeah, and it was like dirt cheap. Um, and then they find out that it's it's a little more than they bargained for. It's a little, it, yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit more haunted than they previously thought. So things really go downhill after that. They did a really good job. Something I really liked about this movie was they did a really good job with like um, with playing with the atmos like the atmosphere. I don't know if that's the right word with the with the site itself. Like the hotel is very it's full of a lot of like narrow hallways and um, like narrow staircases that you turn around a corner and you can't tell what you're turning into necessarily. So they built yeah, the building is surprisingly super complex. Um, yes. 
that's one thing I'll give the second and third. Um, it, it feels like they kind of, I, I don't know if they actually make the set bigger in the second and third movies, but it feels like they did because it's, if maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just because I've seen the first one so many times, so I'm sort of used to it, but like, I was getting like the mental map in my head of the Abaddon hotel was like, I'm like, I don't know where the hell they are. <laughs> like yeah, it, you feel it, very it seems like it grew in the, the mm. sequels, but they do a really, really good job at making you very disoriented because yeah. there, there's a surprising number of rooms in this place. <laughs> yeah. And, and, um, what I also like is is the the location of where they're sleeping is upstairs, and then the really like haunted part. Well, I mean, the whole place is haunted, obviously, but the the part the part of the house that the part of the hotel that really picks off is like as far away as you can get from them. So when the person picks up the camera in the middle of the night and walks down, it's like this slow descent down into what you know is going to be scary and evil right so Mm -hmm. um i really liked the way they played with the site of this movie um because they used the found footage aspect of it right um and they used it and they kind of played with it and used it to their advantage to make the movie even scarier because um you know they have to walk kind of far down to get to this sound that they heard and that helps build suspense and um it's just really good and there's some some really spooky moments like the the clown is among the scariest for me um yeah. just the way he's standing and <laughs> there's there's a lot of spooky stuff that happens but um of course like the props start kind of acting strangely um too uh, that's i think a really what probably i mean the, the movie is only going to be as strong as your actors and i think the actors are really strong like their friendship feels very very real their friend group feels very genuine so like you know when when people start kind of getting picked off like i I genuinely miss them and i'm I'm sad to see them go Uh, that's a great point and at, at the end they sort of do like a look back at like uh you know footage of the first their first night there where they're you know, ha- they're relaxing over some drinks at the bar area. And you're just like really sad that all of these awful things have happened to them and that they're just gone now. And it's because of this place. They they do a really, really good job with um, the actors and something that is lost in the, the sequels. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's a common, it's a common thing that they do, right? With found footage is uh, to establish the, the character dynamics they'll have like a party scene at the beginning or they'll have them mm-hmm. all going out to a bar and talking and being like you know yep. before it all went wrong yeah yeah but hell house llc did it really well like you said um and i think the chemistry of the actors is it's always important but i think especially in found footage because you're um if you don't feel like you're actually watching a group of friends be like real with each other and, and like really having like a genuine interaction, it can really take you out of it super quick, especially with found footage because. Yeah. Like in a traditional movie, I mean, if people don't seem like they're having a real conversation, like 
we'll call it bad acting, but it's almost excusable because we know the whole like it, the whole thing is really fake. Um, and with found footage, it's like if you watched someone's home movie and it doesn't seem like the people who are in it are like the family in it know each other. Yeah. It would be like, what? What is yeah. what is this? This is weird. And even though, you know, we know logically that found footage is fake, it's still obviously mimicking the home movie type of feeling. So it, it, it feels even weirder when it's like Yes. And and it, do you it has know to each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it has to all come out through their dialogue and their um their body language, right? Like they don't have the the um my what's the word I'm looking for not courtesy but they don't have the, the luxury of like you know panning maybe across like a, a family photo or like you know what I mean they don't do that kind of thing in in found footage so you really have to rely on getting the information that you need from just the characters talking to each other um, it, it very heavily rely it, it all relies on explicit dialogue Yes. So yeah. your your writing has to be strong and your acting has to be on point mm-hmm. or else it can all fall apart. Yeah. And when, when I was watching like the bar scene, well, the bar scene, it's um they're sitting around the bar in the, in this hotel that they've rented out right for this um, haunted house. And they're, they're having drinks and just talking it. Um, I remember feeling sad when I was watching that because you know, you're watching a horror movie yeah. that something awful is going to happen to this group of people. <laughs> Yeah, and I was like, I I felt the same way that you did, where I was watching it, and I felt like, um, oh, I actually really like these people, like, the, and yeah. they seem like fun together. And you're like watching a group of friends have fun, and maybe I've just been in um, indoors too long and not around my my friends because of COVID nineteen. But you're like watching this, and you're like, oh, like I feel, you know, I I can feel the dread already just from watching the joy in these people's faces as they interact with each other. I already feel sad and heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so they do a really good job at that. Hell House is it? It's like it's weird how good it is. It, it's sort of a like. Um, it's just sort of unexpectedly good. Like I did not, I I, I just found it randomly and I on, I think maybe shutter or something. I, I think it might be a shutter exclusive. Um, but it was sort of like a sleeper hit, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, not on the same scale as like the Blair Witch Project, obviously, because that came out theatrically, but um, it was just one of those sort of unknown projects. And then all of a sudden it was just, it's like, wow, actually <laughs> this has kind of a generic name. It has a generic poster. It has mm-hmm. a, a generic concept, but they, it, there's just enough um, chemistry and uh, a like solid idea there that it, it really works. And it, remember you told me you're like hell house LLC. God, that sounds bad. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, it's like, you know, the title, like, like shut I, up, Ashley. <laughs> I honestly thought it was related to Hell House. I thought it was like, I, I thought it was like something similar when I first very, very first scrolled past it, like, you know, whenever that was, um, I thought it was related to Hell House, but it's not at all. It's its own complete story. It's just a completely different story. Um, it's just a haunted house that's called Hell House. Yeah. Um, so definitely recommend that. But Hell House, then they came out with a sequel and um, a third, 
film, and I guess yeah. those are not quite as. The second no, one, the second is one is much, right. I think the second one has enough worthwhile moments that is definitely worth your time. Um, I mean, you have to like really love the universe of Hell House to sit through it. Um, <laughs> uh, I love the Hell House <laughs> cinematic universe, and the the third one is just an abomination. Uh, it's just not great. It the the or, the original cast is actually in the whole series. Um, but they kind of come together at the end of the third one and no one seems like they want to be there. <laughs> and it kind of feels like all of their chemistry is gone, weirdly enough, but I, I think mm. it's such an odd ending. It's it's so strange. Mm. I don't recommend it. Um but yes, we the first one obviously, as we've just talked about, very good. Definitely check that one out. Um and I did want to mention this followed is another really good found footage horror movie. Um, and it is, it's on Amazon prime. So you can watch it whenever you want, but that one's, that's also very good. Um, it's another so- one that it sounds really generic and it, it also, it's going into the ter- the much newer territory of like this, you know, online influencer, this YouTuber, cause it's right. literally about a YouTuber um and that yeah it's kind of about like the next it's a little bit it's 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 like next gen found footage yeah (laughs) Yeah. exactly it's moving from uh you know what we've talked about here which is kind of you know this era of found footage horror that that boomed after the Blair Witch and it's kind of moving more into um same idea different the the medium with which they're you know telling their story is slightly different because of the fact that we have professional grade cameras on us at all times, you know, that mm-hmm. type of thing. And the, they don't even need to answer the question. Why are you still filming? Because he's a YouTuber. Um, and he's like, you know, film everything. This is all for the channel. This is all for the content. My viewers want to see more extreme stuff. So like they, they film when they're sleeping. I mean, they, they never stop filming. Yeah. And, it's and not it, question. It's a lot more like acceptable, I think, in the viewer's mind because it's coming from a YouTuber where like people do that kind of thing all the time on YouTube. I just, yeah. Yeah, no, it's that's a really good point because it's not as crazy anymore to constantly be, be filming. Because, um, well, it, it, there are, I mean, YouTubers, their whole job is sort of, uh, intertwining their lives with this online, you know, personality, but which is real, you know, the, the YouTuber personality, or is there a, are you different in real life? I'm, it's much more integrated than it is another older found footage, but, but followed is, is that it's this uh, YouTuber who's kind of an asshole and he's not that likable, but he is going into this uh, really like famously haunted hotel in Los Angeles, I think. Mm -hmm. And it's surprisingly good. And it's all, it's also like Hell House, surprisingly emotional. Like, yes, I get kind of attached to the main character. And I hate him in the beginning and well, throughout most of the movie. He does a really good job. The actor does a really good job at being like a quintessential YouTuber. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, what's where, up, guys? Yeah, real full of energy, the top expression, you know, like, um, as they do. Yeah. But um, he does a really good job with that, but 
um, the movie has some really strong imagery in the scary moments, um, really unique. I guess imagery is the way to describe it. Like the, mm-hmm. the stuff that happens is like, Oh, I've actually never seen that move before. That's really scary. You know, mm-hmm. like um, it's very good mm-hmm. and it incorporates, it takes kind of the complexities of the fact that we are always, you know, we're always near something that we can watch and we're always near something that we can pick up and film with, you know, our phones and we're always, you know, we're connected to people through text, which adds another layer of complexity to, um, uh, to horror that is supposed to be sitting in reality, right? Because we can text people and say things we can, um, you know, film something and post it online. We can do all of this stuff. So it has to grapple with, uh, the realities of how we communicate now, which are very complex um, and followed kind of takes it all on. Like there's, you know, communication happening through all kinds of different mediums throughout the whole movie, like mm-hmm. text, video, commenting on you, you know, on YouTube videos online, um, all kinds of stuff, you know, Skype, like um, it's just like the media consumption is constant and different throughout the whole thing. And a lot of times movies will struggle to incorporate that in a way that seems seamless. Believable. Yeah. But does it well. Mm-hmm. Does it really yeah. well. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd also, you also have the houses that October built on here. I do, but I already talked about that movie last week, so I won't bring it up, but that no, is. No, don't. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> I love it so much. Our list is so long on this page oh, that yeah, it's so just funny. like silently on the last page. Oh, it is. And it's just that. like the house is that October my... built. <laughs> I just like... scroll down. And I'm like, God it's like damn I whispered it. it. It's like, yes. Yeah. Um, and I just I... saw it and I was just filled with rage. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that movie so much, but I, I'm like, I I love it. I think I would I would de- absolutely love it a lot less if um the main subject of the movie was not like haunted houses. Um if they were traveling around to like let's look at spooky hotels or something I would like it a lot less. But because it's like they're going into real haunted houses that people actually put on and like um I just miss haunted houses so much. I haven't been to one in so long. And so when I watch this movie, I'm just like, oh, it feels like Halloween and everything that makes me feel good about October. If they were going into spooky hotels, I would like it more. Really? That's my territory. I love spooky hotels. (laughs) Well, I do too. But I think that, well, yeah, I guess that's true. You got me there. I did get you there. I, I would like it if it was if it was hotels as well. But I think that, um, that, that makes less sense though, with the hotels that October built makes less sense. (laughs) Yeah. That doesn't flow off the tongue as easily. This, (laughs) this hotel was only under construction in the months of October. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason. (laughs) Very spooky construction timeline. Um, Uh, anywho, that's like, us on found footage. No, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I was gonna say like if Rose Red only took a month to build, but Rose Red is neither a hotel nor a commercial haunted house. So 
It's okay. I'm just, I'm just losing my mind. It's fine. (laughs) So, I mean, all in all, obviously we love found footage and it's going to some new places. Um, It has to move and evolve into some new spaces because um, we aren't people that only have a, a VHS camera on us at all times. Right. So we're really interested to see like where it goes from here. And like we mentioned, followed, I think does that really well. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how directors and filmmakers grapple with that in the future. Cause you can't take that away from reality anymore. You know, it's very yeah, much a part it's, of it. Found footage is like a real time, um, documentation of where we are in with modern technology yes and you know Blair Witch Project obviously professional cameras existed during the time of the Blair Witch Project but for the average consumer they realistically don't the cameras that they use were consumer level cameras they didn't use anything fancier than that um as opposed to in 2020 followed uh they're using like really nice like DSLRs and using their phones in some parts and they have professional, you know, semi-professional sound equipment Mm -hmm. uh, because that's a closer reality to 2020 or 2019, you know? Um, And that's some people's jobs. So it's actually found footage horror is I think much closer to reality than other traditional Mm -hmm. types because this it's literally documenting this is what is possible for the average person right now yeah yes yep so footage is is for the common man (laughs) the common lady the commoner if i may um no just kidding peasant (laughs) yeah let's just let's just say it's for peasants no (laughs) um but we're, this yeah. is the elitist spooky town. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or just assholes. Um, so that's our. I mean, that's our list, and we're sticking to it. Like we recommend all of those films um, and the houses that October built. No, we recommend that spooky we town. Don't. Recommends it fully, percent. No. <laughs> um, and with I'm that, leaving <laughs> the podcast. All right. Well, I will see you next time um, for episode five. Thank you for for sticking around um, and listening to our two hours of us just jabbing. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Jibber jabbing. Yapping about all things horror. Um, Found footage is like the best. And I was really excited for this episode. And I'm glad we got to talk about it. Um, And yeah, thanks for for listening everybody we'll see you next time everyone be safe and wear your mask yeah nothing is spookier than people who don't wear their masks um nothing is spookier than getting a uh a potentially preventable disease that you could also not give to other people if you thank just you wear your mask. wash your thank hands you. wear your masks socially distance yes have a spooky this night ad- everyone ad brought to you by the cdc I know. We are not sponsored by the CDC. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're ending this. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Um, We will see you in a couple weeks for episode five. Bye. Bye.